Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. today with Erin Thorpe. Erin, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, well, we're happy to have you. And you just got back from a, a little uh, vacation, so you are, you're like, you know, just ready to rock, I can tell. So Erin Thorpe is an empathic keynote speaker, writer, and coach for leaders who struggle with conflict, communication, and performance during high-stress times. Erin's life suddenly took a turn when her daughter was diagnosed with a severe learning disability along with ADHD. Having spent 20 years in the masculine-dominated engineering and construction industries, Erin decided to take a leave of absence from her career to explore her superpower of empathy to help her daughter achieve the success that she has today, along with coaching many others on empathy and compassion. I have the pleasure of sitting down with her today to discuss how the impacts of her daughter's learning disabilities altered the trajectory of her life today. Erin, welcome. Thank you. So when you hear that introduction, what, what comes to mind? What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to sit and reflect on how you get to a place in your life, you know, and if somebody would have said that this is where I was going to be and that's how I would have gotten here. Um, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting. When you're going through it, you often don't see how one thing is leading to the next thing and you know how it all fits together. Mm-hmm. But when you can take the time to look back and hear someone read the story to you, it's like, oh yeah, that did all work out. Well, and thank you for being here. You know, before we just started, um, I was saying, like, I feel like we're in this day and age where we're more able and willing to talk about whether it's, you know, the loss of a child, mental uh, struggles, mental health struggles, um, you know, uh, diseases that either ourselves, our children, our loved ones are going through. And historically, that was almost very faux pas because there was a lot of embarrassment wrapped around it. Like, well, if I have a learning disorder, what does that, you know, am I crazy? Or if my child does, does that mean I'm not a good parent? Right. And so now I, I believe a lot of these barriers are being broken and more, especially women, are coming out and talking about um, their journey. So I just wanted to thank you for, for being open and sharing. So you are a mother, a wife, engineer, and a neurodivergence advocate, which we're going to get into because before I had read this, yeah. I had never heard of this. Your life took a drastic turn in December of 2015 when you and your husband received the news that your daughter has a severe learning disability in both reading and math as well as ADHD. Can you share with our listeners about how this diagnosis affected you and your family? And when I can't imagine as a mother, I'm a mother, when you're sitting here, sitting there and you're getting that diagnosis, what was that like? I don't think either my husband or I anticipated the... We kind of expected to get some kind of news, but definitely not the news that we had gotten. Um, I think myself, for sure, and I think a lot of parents and people that I've talked to over the years, we 
you know, rely on kind of our, our school system to help highlight and to bring some of this stuff to the surface. And, you know, you're in constant conversations with them and doing all of the check-ins and kind of all those things that we think we should be doing as parents. Um, so when the, when the diagnosis came through, I literally felt like the world kind of fell away from me, like the bottom of, of everything just fell away. Um, and so it was really, really hard to hear. It happened right before Christmas. So there wasn't a lot we could do with the news when we got it. It was like, okay, here's the news and we'll see you in January. Uh. And so it was, that was really hard. Um, we don't, it wasn't a, a topic that was discussed in our families, like on either side, you know, everyone did okay at school successfully kind of navigated into adulthood and so it really it wasn't something that we were at all equipped to handle when we got the news which I feel like is a lot of the things that we deal with in life you know the things you were talking about before loss of a child mental illness um, just all of those struggles when we're going through them we're often not equipped mm -hmm. you know to deal with it and when you got the diagnosis, how does that work? Like, was it just you and your husband that received it? Was your daughter in the room with you? Yeah, so she was 11 at the time, and they gave us the option of having her be in the room. Um, when they are 13 and older, they must, like, they're supposed to be in the room because it's a lot, a lot more about them, and they have the capacity to know. So we asked her, and she said she wanted to be in the room. So um, we did kind of hear it all together. And of course your mind is racing mile a minute, trying to solve the problems and anticipate and you know, just figure it all out. So it, it is hard to sit there and just really be present with what's being said, because there is a lot of information coming at you at, at once. Um, and I think, you know, when I look back on it, I just kept, I just kept thinking to myself, like, why hasn't anyone noticed this before? You know, why, why is she 11 and we're just finding this out? Like she was in grade six, um, you know, and, and couldn't read really past a kindergarten level. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, and so, and not, and these questions are not leading questions to lay no. blame on anybody. No. I'm just, I'm curious, is that like, you know, looking back, did the, did she just kind of get lost in the mix of her class? Because that's a fairly, like, we're not talking grade six, they're reading at a grade three or four, no. you know? And so how did she even get along that far with nobody, you know, whether it's a teacher or, I mean, I'm sure you yeah. and your husband had these thoughts of how did we miss this? Like, absolutely. You like, know, was she that, getting good grades or? Yeah, I mean, immediately you want to kind of blame everyone else and then you go, ah, I must have had a part in this. I must not have read the right books or long enough or, you know, because you're, you're doing the best that you can. Of course. Um, we have three children, so oh, wow. it's busy, you know, I mean, it's a lot, but you're doing the best that you can and you think you're doing all the right things. Uh, so it was interesting. So what led us up to actually doing the assessment was in about grade three, we started having these conversations with her teachers and support people that were like, there's just something off. Like she's just not quite performing where we want her to be, but she's super pleasant. She gets along well socially. She's always helping everyone in class. Um, but there's just, there's just something that's not quite right. Uh, and so when we had these conversations with the school, uh, we put her on the list to be tested through the school. And um, 
here's, there's a lot I've learned about this, but the biggest ones that I hope anybody listening to this takes away is girls hide ADHD very well. It presents very differently in girls than it does in boys, Mm -hmm. typically. Um, Boys tend to have the disruptive behavior, whereas girls tend to um, look for ways to people please and blend in. And so it goes unnoticed. So they're not learning and absorbing, but they're, you know, cleaning up the classroom and taking the attendance in and helping the new kid find the, doing the school tours and, you know, doing all of those things that would lead a teacher or an educator to go, they're well adjusted. Wow. You know, they're helping achiever in those areas. Right. Right. Um, and academically, you know, to answer your question before, you know, was she getting good grades? I find now, like, we're... Grades are so subjective, and they're sort of like, you know, oh, she's average, and so, okay, well, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Like, great, I'm relying on you to tell me if there's a problem or not. Um, and as she got older, uh, that's really what happened is, so grade three, we started t- having the conversations with the school, like, well, okay, put her on the list, let's get her tested, and then every year that went by was like, she's not the worst kid, she's not gonna, you know, she doesn't need it the worst, so we're gonna prioritize other children, which is totally fair. You know, um, the schools have, I think they only get like three or four tests a year. So they're making the best decisions they can with like 600 kids. And by the time we got to grade six, um, it was in September, her school principal called me and just said, I wanna let you know that she's not making the list to get tested this year again. So if you think that this is important and if you wanna get some answers, I think you need to look into doing this privately. Um, And it was interesting. We had never looked into doing it privately before because it never was presented as an option by the school. You know, they're like, well, we'll put her on the list. We'll take care of that. Great. Um, and, And so, again, looking back, we had, my husband and I both work corporate jobs. We had insurance coverage. Like, it wasn't the expense of it. It was just like, I just didn't know. Yeah, you don't know that I could do it. Know. You know, I, yeah, exactly. I just didn't know we could do it. So when she said that, you know, I was like, oh, we can do this ourselves. And she goes, yeah, here's a couple of recommendations. And, um, you know, most insurance plans will cover. I'm like, oh, okay. So, great. you know, that was late September, early October. And we had the diagnosis by December. Wow. So, you know, it happened relatively quickly. Once we started to to learn what we needed to do, and how did your daughter react to the diagnosis? So surprisingly different than I would have expected. She was like relieved uh, because she knew, and she was like, "I you now people know what I'm experiencing. There's words to describe what's going on in my brain." She described it as like a light switch goes off. So when she gets into things that she doesn't like or understand, which happened to be math and reading, because when you struggle with something, it's hard to like it, mm-hmm. um, she, her mind would just go blank. She would just shut down. Yeah. And she could sit there through a whole class, look at you the whole time. Like this is the difference between the disruptive kind of outward behavior that little boys tend to exhibit to get attention because they're bored. She would just sit there with this like glazed Blazed. over look on your face. And teachers would assume that she's soaking it in. Yeah, she's so present. So she's present. Just there staring. Yeah. Perfect student. Right? And nothing was penetrating. Wow. Like nothing was getting oh through. Gosh. So for her, initially, it was a, it was a lot of relief. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for us, it was like, oh, yeah, panic, yeah, anxiety. Like, yeah. you know, how do we help this child? 
Um, and what is her future going to look like? Yeah. You know, you start running that scenario as a parent. Um, you know, what's this going to look like for her? Yeah, because, you know, it's, I would imagine, and it's similar to when a child, when you take them in and they're diagnosed with a disease or something. Absolutely. I mean, though ADHD and severe learning disability is not fatal mm -hmm. to the body or, you yeah. know, to, to dying, it's still in your mind, it's, it's going to affect her future in some capacity. Yep. And, and that for a parent, when you just want the absolute best for your children's health on any level, yeah. it is, must have just been really disheartening and scary. It is because you don't know, right? Yeah. And that uncertainty is what, um, you know, when, when we let it kind of take hold and take root and we can, we can spend a lot of time and energy kind of mm -hmm. running what if scenarios in our head and when you don't know any difference and when you don't have this in your family or in your kind of close circle of friends, uh, you really are starting at ground zero in terms of gathering information and really navigating what is this future going to look mm -hmm. like for her. And so when you leave there, what is the self-talk between you and your husband behind closed doors like that 24 to 48 hours later? I'm just curious. Oh, yeah. I don't know that there was a lot of talk. I think I went pretty internally in terms of like just down that pretty dark path of like, what did I do? You know, what was what was, what did I do or not do? How did I miss this? You know, just really feeling bad for her and the situation and that it had gone on as long as it was. And then really not knowing, like wanting to do so much to turn it around, but not having a clue where to start, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I will say when they give you the diagnosis, there's like an appendices that's probably 25 pages long on all the things you can do. But that in itself is overwhelming because you're like, where do ah, I start? Where do I start? Which one? Yeah. I gotta get the flashcards and the this and sign up for the course and send her to the school. And you know, it's just like, it seems like it's just so much at once, yeah. right? It's not just like, do this next step, Aaron. Yeah, step it's a, like, here's 25 <laughs> pages of things you could do and really it's up to you to decide how you wanna navigate this. So, um, yeah, and then you just go in, for us, we went into the holidays, so it was, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain I drank way too much wine and just, you know, like, kind of tried to pretend like maybe this wasn't happening and maybe somehow the, you know, the clarity would come, um, and, and as you know, and all we all know, the clarity comes through the action that yeah. you start to take, um, yeah, and, and it was, you know, we got through the holidays and then early in January, both my husband and I were working downtown. I'll never forget. It was in a plus 15 food court. You know, we were, we're if you ever worked downtown Calgary, you know what, what I'm talking about. I, do. I don't, I haven't worked downtown Calgary, but yeah. I frequented them. Many yeah. Times. You know, and we're sitting there having lunch and I just, you know, we were trying to talk it through and what are we going to do and how are we going to navigate this and what does she need? And I just, I remember saying to him, like, I don't know why, but I just feel like I, I have to quit my job. Like, I can't, mm -hmm. I can't navigate this and work full time. And we've got these two other kids that are going to yes. need us. Um, you know, and I just, like, it just felt way too heavy. And he's like, okay, we'll figure it out. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what? He's like, whatever. You know, like, if, if you need to quit your job, like, we've been here before. We've taken three maternity leaves. We've had one salary. You know, like we're going to figure this out and it's going to be okay. And I was like, that's oh. a good man. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> someone would there be like, like all the things. Someone would be like, "Honey, you you ain't quitting your job." Yeah. <laughs> you right. Know? And he's like, we'll figure it out, you know? And um, of course it meant lifestyle changes, right? Our nanny had to go, our, yes. you know, different things had to change, but it, it, and it was perfect. It worked yeah. out, you know? And I had a leader at the time that when I went to tell him what was going on and you know, you, you prepare and you plan and you're like, I'm not going to show any emotion and I'm not going to do this. And then you're sitting there talking about your little baby that's like, your eyes out. oh my gosh, you're falling apart. He was so good because he was just like, he, he also had kids, you know, and he, he said like, I get this. I can feel where you're coming from. He's like, I'd like to tweak your plan a little bit. And I'm like, what? You know, and he says, if you're open to it, I'd love for you to stay on until, you know, bonuses are paid out. And then let's see if we can get you a leave of absence instead of quitting the job. So wow. that you know, you have something to come back to. Wow. And I was like, oh, well, that just made me feel a whole lot better, yeah. you know? One, I'd have, you know, a little bit of income to, to help manage the transition for the family. And two, there, there was that sense of security that I had something to come back to. Um, you know, and he said, why don't you just take till the end of the school year? And if you need more, we'll extend it, you know? And so in that moment, I just felt so grateful for somebody that could find their empathy Mm -hmm. and could really feel what I was going through as a mother. Um, and offer me something I couldn't see, mm-hmm. right? I think this is uh, also a tendency I tend to see in a lot of like, you know, strong, independent, ambitious women is we make up the plan of how we're going to get through this, and then that's the plan. We kind of put our blinders on and we go, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless we have those people that are willing to sit with us and hear us and then offer what they see, uh, sometimes our plan isn't yeah. the best plan. That's right. Right. It's hard to see that sometimes. Like when you're. It in, is. We in just think moment. we have to solve it by ourselves. Yeah. You know. So um, after Christmas, you have this. Well, you have the diagnosis just before Christmas. So you're you go back to school. How did that change her school setting then? Did you have to change schools for her? So there, that was one of the options in the twenty yes. <laughs> age appendices was to look at some different schools, and we did. Um, My husband and I did some tours. She was pretty adamant. She wanted to try to stay in public school. Her friends were there. She's in grade six. You know, it's that, it's a tender age for girls, I find. Um, And we said, okay, we're going to give it a try. And um, I will say in the city, there is this entire network of just tremendous support in this area. Uh, We ended up, she ended up doing a couple of different programs at the Reading Foundation, which is a center for kids with ADHD and learning disabilities, um, and they're set up to do one-on-one tutoring um, in a really supportive way. She absolutely loved it. She had a, her own teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, they did stickers and all of the things, and just like really made the kids feel like they weren't odd, they weren't weird, there was nothing wrong with them. They just their brains needed something different to learn what other kids maybe got in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So she did a couple of programs there through grade six and grade seven, um, and we felt like she was making progress and kind of on the right track. We were offered medication. She also wasn't super keen on it. She's like, I don't really want to try that. Um, And I will say that the Reading Foundation, uh, their programming is set up that a lot of kids don't need medication because it is one-on-one and they really work with them. And then grade eight rolled around and grade eight was a massive struggle. Um, just, and, and she kind of came to us early in grade eight and she said, Mom, this isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Um, and so we had a lot of talks with her, her teacher. And what we found out was all of the things that she had access to because of her diagnosis, like writing tests in separate rooms and getting more time and using noise canceling headphones and having someone read the test to her and having someone write her answers down while she was building these skills, she had access to all of these supports. But now as a 13 going on 14 year old girl, the last thing she wanted to do was be different. Different. I knew you were going to say right? that. Yeah. She's like, I don't want to take extra time. I don't want to go to the special room. I don't want to have someone come in and read a test to me. Like, yeah. how awful would that be? And she knew she wasn't. Like, school was getting hard. Mm -hmm. You know, like, she now knew she wasn't keeping up. She was having to read multiple chapter books a year. Like, she couldn't do it. Um, so then she became open to looking at different schools and trying medication. Um, and so that we navigated that path through grade eight. She started some meds, which did help. And she still to this day takes them when she needs them and doesn't when she doesn't. Yes, yeah. um, but she knows kind of how to work with that. Um, and then we started looking at um, some of the private school options. Um, and there are public school options. There's just huge wait lists, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and, and for my husband and I, we sort of had the conversation, like, we can spend this money now and invest in her. She may never make it to university if we don't. Yeah. You know, that was our reality. The way that grade eight was going, I honestly, I, to this day, I can tell you, I don't think she would have graduated high school wow. had she stayed in public school. I just think they're so big. They're so easy to get lost in. There's yeah. so many other influences. Well, and they're that, not equipped. They're not equipped. There's yeah. so many other influences pulling at them at that age anyway. Yeah. Right? When something's hard, it's really hard to stay with it. You know? Um, so we ended up moving her in grade 9 to... Um, she went to Calgary Academy, which is um, just a fantastic school. And I re I'll never forget her first week of classes. She came home and she's like... Mom, I'm not different. Oh, oh, that must have just been like such a tender moment for yes, you. It just melts your yeah. heart, you know. And she's like, they all talk about their diagnoses. They all share what medication they're on and oh. how they take it and when they take it. And and you know, oh well, I need this person to write this for me, and I need this reader. And you know, like everybody had an accommodation. Everybody was going to the special room. Everybody needed three times longer to write the tests. You know, so it was like, so now she was able to engage in these supports. Yes. And she was able to see how they would help her um, and build confidence around them. Parenting is often a juggling act of wondering if we're doing the right thing. And I ask myself that, not every day, but probably every other day. What advice would you give to other parents who are feeling lost in the woods with no compass, have no idea how to navigate the unexpected changes that they'll face or are currently facing? I think it's just around being brave enough to share what's going on, you know, um, because you never know, like, who's going through what and who can connect you to whom, mm -hmm. right? Just the other day, I was having this conversation with a friend and, you know, just kind of sharing our story with learning disabilities. And she's like, you know what, I have a friend that was just, their kid was just diagnosed, can I connect you? And I'm like, absolutely, you know, uh, because I remember that feeling, like it was yesterday. Um, and I think, I think that's just it. It's like if we're brave enough to share our stories, we can connect with each other, um, and then we can support it. I, I know that other children's path isn't going to look like Olivia's did, right? 
And I know that just in sharing it, it may give some ideas, it may open up some doors, it may just like help them see that they're not alone and that they're mm -hmm. not different, right? Because that's yes. all we're trying to do is belong. She's trying to belong as a student, we're trying to belong as parents. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, so Olivia was diagnosed in 015. Yeah. Uh, so that was seven years ago. So eight years, yeah. So where, what, what is she up to today? This is the part where I get emotional oh. usually. Because um, it's just, again, like I remember so viscerally in grade eight when that, like just wondering what would her future look like? Will mm -hmm. she graduate from high school? Is post-secondary even an option? Like, you know, because you want the best for your kids. And don't get me wrong, like if she wanted to, I don't know, cut hair, cut hair, or run a home cleaning business, like I don't care what it is, as long as she has access to her passion, right, and has uh, the ability to do that. So she is now in her first year of university. She is studying at Lethbridge and um, loving it. And Tribe, you know, is, is confident enough to be able to advocate for what she needs, and she's getting the support she needs with the accommodations that she needs in, in university, which is only because she had four years in an environment where she wasn't different, mm -hmm. needing them, right? So she got the chance to see what it was like when she had a little extra time where she wore the noise-canceling headphones or she, you know, um, had someone read her the test. You know, she got to see what difference it made in her ability to communicate what she knows. Because mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of these kids really struggle is like, how do they get out what they know? Yes. Because they're very bright. Yeah. They are very bright. Their brains are like little magic gifts because they see things that the rest of us don't. They have access to this level of creativity that most of us don't access. Um, and when they grow up kind of thinking that it's something bad or to be ashamed about, right, that's that's where my heart breaks mm -hmm. because it's just, it's not at all. You know, she's she's got this memory, like you wouldn't believe. It's almost photographic, you know, mm -hmm. she'll, do you remember that vacation where we took the thing and we stayed in the hotel with the pink wallpaper and the, you know, <laughs> like she'll just, and she'll know exactly where things wow. are. And she's just like, she's got these gifts. Um, and so it's amazing. She's living on her own. She's navigating university. She's, she's doing everything that, you know, that, 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 you would have that I was hoping yeah. for and dreaming about that I really started to question would even be possible. Yeah. So what does Olivia want to do? What is her long-term goal with university? So she's studying psychology right now, and wow. she's, it's interesting because she's learning about all of the things that she's been dealing with mm -hmm. and navigating, and she's finding it fascinating. Um, she'd love to work with children, I think. You know, that's kind of right now what's on the table for her is, is working with children. Um, she's talked about even, you know, at the children's hospital, um, kind of helping them navigate illness and diagnosis and and that so definitely not light work yeah but such important work yeah well you must be so you and your husband must be so proud of her we are yeah you know, because she did the work too right she did the yeah. work and I think it's impacted our whole family yeah so our, our boys are a lot more understanding of those those people that need the extra room or the special time or you know that might be a little bit more disruptive or a little bit more quiet um, so it's been a gift mm -hmm. really it has you know yeah. eight years later I you can say, say that, that. <laughs> with, with, with this deep knowing it's definitely been a gift not just for our family um but for me personally yeah. you know well let's get into that because you took a 10-month leave of absence from your corporate career to shift your focus 
to Olivia's education. And then this led you down a path of self-reflection on your own leadership experience, Absolutely. and you started writing a book. So can you speak to what this book is about and why you felt compelled to speak about emotion and empathy? Yeah, I think, so for starters, I found myself with four hours a day sitting in the Starbucks on 4th Street and 23rd <laughs> Avenue while she's in tutoring. As for somebody who's like, you know, full-time job and three kids, that was a lot oh of time. That was a lot of self-reflection. Yes, so it felt like a lifetime. Um, and, and of course, I had a lot of emotion that was going on, and so I turned to journaling to just kind of kill the time and, and work through what I was going through as her mom. Um, and it always kept coming back to... You know, these couple of experiences in my 20-year career in engineering and construction, I could count them on one hand where I actually felt like I had leaders that could connect to my experience as a woman, as a mother, you know, as a, as a female engineer in construction. And um, one of which was the one that helped me navigate the leave of absence, right? And so that was just so... There was just something so touching about that to me that I was like, hmm, I wonder what this is all about and like how could we, I just started to ask the question like how can we bring more of this to this industry because for as long as I can remember, I mean being a first year student in engineering, we were having the conversation about how do we get more women in engineering, right? How do we get more women in these male dominated industries? And for me, in my experience, it just kind of clicked together that if we can have more leaders that can demonstrate and connect to emotions and, and, and demonstrate that skill of empathy, then we can create the environment where women can thrive and not have to choose between family or work. Um, and having a husband that also works full-time in the similar industry, you know, he's having the same feelings I'm having. Like, he would like to stay at home and support the kids, and he would like to do this. It's very you know, eight years ago, it was, and our generation, he's like, he doesn't feel like it was very socially acceptable to do that, right? I think paternity leaves and, you know, leaves of absences for men to stay home and, and, and partners to take care of, of children are definitely becoming more um, common, more common, more acceptable. Yes. Yeah, know. they were very faux pas, like very. 10 years ago, your husband would never stay home. No. I mean, he, I know, I know the government said we could, but like yeah. nobody was doing well, it. Well, and men, I think, looked at it as a pride thing, yeah. right? Like, I'm the breadwinner. My wife stays home and takes care of the kids. And now, yeah. I love it. It's very common. I'll meet with a couple, yeah. and he's on pat leave, yeah. and she's working. And sometimes it's not even because they one makes more than the other. Sometimes they're equal, and that's just a decision that they've made as a couple. I think that's so... It's empowering. It is, and it actually happened for us, the one I... Matt, uh, like my husband got laid off in 2018, which is when I was on my leave of absence. And so it was like, okay, whoever finds a job first is going yeah. back and the other one's gonna stay home and continue this journey with the kids. Yeah. And he ended up staying home for almost a year and a half with them, wow. which was such a gift, you such know? Gift. Like they were kind of preteen kind yeah. of age, you know? Oh, they, lucky you have, right? <laughs> I know. Oh, you struck it rich. I did. <laughs> I got out just in time. But you know, like how many families can do that? Yeah. And how many kids can say that they had their dad at home for a year oh, and a half right. and have that, you know, foundation of a relationship with so them? So special. So it really was. And and so the, the book is called Inside Out Empathy, and it really is um, 
a little, mostly, you know, my just journey in terms of connecting to my own emotions, um, my own powers of empathy, how we then can bring that out in our own leadership and kind of this call to action um, in the industries that I was familiar with, so engineering and construction, to just like, let's lead with this skill. Um, and there is this common belief that it's an innate trait we're either born with or not, right? We're either empathic or we're not. It's not true. We can build it just like we can get bigger biceps and stronger abs and do more squats. We can also work on our empathy muscles. Well, that's right. I, I love that you're saying this and you and your husband are both engineers because when I think of an engineer, I don't think of empathy. No, <laughs> it's like, nobody does. It's like cut and dry, black and white, very right seri serious, very stoic, very, mm -hmm. like, wh why is that so stereotypical though? Like, I very rarely meet an engineer that is like touchy, feely, warm yeah. and fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, we spend, well, I spent six years getting my undergrad. Some people do it in four. We spend a lot of years being taught how to solve problems from a very logical place, right? Mm -hmm. There is a right and a wrong answer. Um, sure, you do some group work and you, you kind of um, come up with that. Um, but when I went through engineering school, it was very, um, there was less project work, more independent work, more, you know, get the right answer and you went ahead. Mm -hmm. And I do see that changing. I do a lot of work with the U of C in their engineering program. They have an engineering leadership program now, which is amazing. So I talk about feelings awesome. all the time with them. Go girl. You know, and, and it is, and it's changing because what I will tell you in industry is happening right now is nobody solves a problem on their own anymore, ever. Uh, you know, uh, at least in my career, it never happened. There was always a team of people. The work was actually the easy part right? It was managing the people mm -hmm. and the dynamics of the team and the feelings in the team always and the emotions the in the team part. that is the hard part, right? So as, as I moved through my career, um, that's where I really, and that's where I see this magic superpower of empathy is like, if you can master the skill and you're an engineer, that's you like kind of become unstoppable yeah, because you can, not only can you figure out the work, but you can also navigate the team. Yes. And that's the hard part, because yeah. people are messy. We all have stuff going on yeah. in our lives. We all have stories and situations. Undealt with trauma. Emotions, <laughs> undealt with trauma, you know, these unexpected things happening all the time. Yeah. And yet, we're expected to just show up and soldier on. It's you know? so true. And I found in my own leadership when I was still leading corporate teams, like. If I could call out that elephant in the room and be like, hey, I see you've got something going on. Let's figure what that is. And how do we allow you to have space to do that yes. and the work? It was like unlocking this human being because now they were like, oh, I can bring my whole self yes. to work. Right? I always say, like, we don't have two selves. We don't leave our home self in a little suitcase by the work door and then pick it up on the yeah. way out. And we definitely don't leave work on the front porch when we get home at night. <laughs> so true. You know, it comes in with us. And so we are just one self. Mm -hmm. um, and really, how do we, you know, part of it is finding the courage to mm -hmm. talk about these things and to sit with your own feelings because a lot of us are uncomfortable with some of these big emotions that can happen. But as leaders, our job really is to hold the, the, the emotion of the team. It's so true. I, and I always, that's where we need the capacity. It's so true. I, you know, there's that saying, you ain't mommy, ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, or happy wife, happy life. 
But I say, if my team's not happy, I'm not happy. Yeah. Because, you know, every team has challenges. We've had challenges. And when we go through those challenges, I can walk in the door and feel it. Yeah. It's like you can, it's like scratching your fingers on a nail mm-hmm. board. And so I'm a huge advocate of, of coaching with my team, yeah. uh, of business coaching, emotional intelligence, and talking about where we're at in our lives. You know, if you're having a relationship problem and you, you blew up in a fight the night before, like, let's talk about that. If your husband lost his job, yeah. let's talk about that. If you're going through a divorce, let's, let's talk about that because those are so real life when you, to your point, when you walk in the door, that suitcase doesn't get checked. It comes with you comes with you and we all have clients and you know projects and people that we're working with and it's like the last place I want that to show up is in the client meeting yes right like yes I want to help you um, understand and unpack that in a safe space yes. rather than it impact um, your whole world during the, the, day. the whole world during yeah. the day so yeah so that's kind of what the work has now become about wow. and I did go back corporately for a little bit after writing the book kind of give it a try and to test a few things out um which all worked really well and then it became this desire to just impact more teams than my own right Mm -hmm. I I really remember this point of like I can stay here and just impact one team at a time one project at a time or I can do this in a bigger scale work with more companies more teams um and here I am and here you are so when you left Mm -hmm. um a couple couple of questions that are going through my mind so you left corporate Mm -hmm. you dealt with uh, Olivia going through her ADHD journey or dealing you write a book and then did you go because you're you're now a coach mm-hmm. um did you go then seek professional training for being a coach as well yeah so that all kind of happened in that like 2016 2017 2018 um just kind of all navigating this together I originally did my coach training as kind of the next level personal development for me. And I really thought I would just use it in my corporate leadership. I really, I didn't have any aspirations to hang shingle and, you know, (laughs) start my own business and do all of those things. Um, But it really was just this desire to help more teams than Mm -hmm. just my own over the years just got bigger and bigger and it became a voice I couldn't ignore anymore. Yeah, Yeah. it was your true passion. You just didn't know it. It is, it is. So, uh, question, neurodivergence. Yes. Advocate, what is neurodivergence? Uh, What can you you share with us about that? Yeah, I think my kind of definition of it is there is this kind of, I mean, normal is a scale, right? Let's be honest, (laughs) it's like, you've got to really watch yourself using these words, right? But, um, you know, there's kind of neurotypical, which is what I would say, you know, our school systems, our social structures, um, testing, you know, all of these systems that we live in are kind of built for the neuro, neurotypical. Okay. Um, so there is a way that we would anticipate the majority of the population would respond and interact and um, navigate through those systems. And then there's the neurodivergent, which are not neurotypical, right? And so that can be anything from... Um, ADHD to dyslexia to autism spectrums to Asperger's to you know all the things that there and I call them the invisible mm-hmm. disabilities really um, and and dementia right would be a narrow uh, divergent um, or Alzheimer's and 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 here's the thing that I'm really becoming aware of in this space 
we will all probably at some point in our lives have some kind of neurodivergent, you know, whether that is dementia from older age or, um, uh, you know, Alzheimer's or an injury, right? A concussion or uh, even depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. like, you know, these types of things. Most of us will, will Im be impacted by that in some way in our lives. And so um, it's really kind of taking the stigma out of it and going, sure, today I might be in the neurotypical category. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but there could be a time that I'm not, right? And just like making it okay that it, it doesn't matter. Um, sure, Olivia needs different things at school to succeed. She's going to need different things at work to succeed too. And what's interesting is, is once we get out of the school environment, we all do this anyway. We all make the little adjustments and tweaks for ourselves um, that we that make work easier, right? Yeah, it's so true, actually. I never really thought right? about it that way. Yeah. So if you think about, you know, some of us, I, I'm a very auditory learner. I would rather listen to the audiobook um, if I'm busy mm -hmm. than sit down and try to read it. Me too. Right? And yeah. so, like, that's an accommodation, yes. right? Yeah. It's just like that makes my life easier. Yeah. Um, and so in, in the adult world, we kind of destigmatize these things. Mm -hmm. But if you had to give a kid an audiobook in school because they needed it to be able to read the chapter book, uh, we might look at that and go, oh, that's odd. They can't read. Well, no. It's just the way their brain yeah. works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Like, what, what, why do we say that the way we learn is normal? Yeah. Right? Like, why, yeah. you know, because you think of now that we are talking about learning disabilities, for example, mm -hmm. how many people have learning disabilities? And not kids, people, no. yeah. adults, adults who have been undiagnosed their whole life. Totally. When Olivia was diagnosed, I like grade six, could barely read past kindergarten. It really hit home for me how you can end up with like functioning, functioning illiterate human beings in the world, and not because for any other reason than they just like the system kind of let them yes. down, yeah. right? Um, not that they didn't want to read, probably, or didn't want to learn how, but just that they couldn't in the environment that they were in. Yeah. Yeah, and so you think nowadays this is more common, and so parents, um, there's more testing, there's more access, but when we were growing up, or our parents, yeah. I mean, nothing. Like, think yeah. of how many of our parents' yeah. age yeah. grew up with learning disabilities and never knew. And never knew. Yeah, and just thought, you know, oh, it's hard, or it's me, or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah, I have so many friends, specifically women, who are getting diagnosed later and later um, with ADHD, um, because like trying to run businesses and be mom and you know like it's just too much and they yes. can't hold it all and you know and again it's not the hyperactivity piece it's the um, the inattention piece yeah, right focus. the like the focus um, very common yeah what piece of advice could you share with our listeners about navigating circumstances that arise unexpectedly in your life because what I really what resonated with me today in hearing your story is and I don't know that I would have had the I don't know I would have been that brave as you like left your career mm -hmm. like that that is like one thing that is really sticking with me because I have to assume that you loved your career it sounds like you had a very supportive boss yeah. a supportive husband in your career and the thought of having to leave my career or step back 
that's a very selfless act. Mm. And it really is. I, I don't know that I could do that because I'm a part of my identity is my career. Yeah. And, and yeah. for many of us, it is, right? It certainly was at that time. I... I don't feel like that was a very logical decision, to be real honest with you. Okay. I feel like it was a very like primal, like, I don't know where this is coming from, and I have no idea how this is going to work out, but this is just what I feel I need to do. And so it was very much, it wasn't a logical, rational, like, in my masculine energy decision. Like, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know how it was going to work out. It was like, in that moment every fiber of my being said this is where you need to be and I don't know and so you know knowing now what I didn't know then right it was a very like in my feminine knowing yes. intuition type of decision um, and I think when we get into these tight spots in life right where we have the unexpected happen um, and the plan that we all have gets derailed uh, we can either try to like logically think our way through it or we get quiet and we listen to that little voice, mm -hmm. right? Because so often the body knows what it needs. Um, and I think especially as mothers, right? We're tuned into a lot and carry a lot of um, connection with our children and, and our families. And I think it's really allowing yourself to trust that you may not see the path forward and it's literally one step day by day, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, okay, this is what's gonna happen today. I also never felt like I couldn't go back in that decision, you know? Like, I never felt like, okay, I'm leaving my career and there's no way I can re-enter. You had a supportive boss in that. I did, well, yeah. I did with the, the leave of absence conversation, but even when I went in there as like, I'm leaving, like I'm quitting, I never felt like, like I couldn't, just get another job okay, somewhere. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It was like you were employable. If, yeah, <laughs> like if and when you want to go back, yeah, there'll be opportunity. You'll fire yeah. up the resume and apply for some jobs yeah. and okay, we'll get back yeah. in. And so I didn't feel like it was, you know, um, Fine. ending a career yes. yeah. <laughs> more than it was like, I just need a break. Yes. And this is what needs to be focused yeah. on right now. And I think, I think a lot of the, the times, you know, um, we can get really caught up in the way that we're living and the things that we're doing and, and all of that and and forget that we have choice, mm -hmm. right? So as far as like giving advice to somebody that's navigating something that, you know, they didn't expect, like something major in their life, like what advice would you give to kind of navigate through the unexpected? Yeah, I think it starts with getting quiet and really listening to that inner knowing that you have. Um, and, and kind of trusting it. I think it's, it is a day by day process because you won't have a plan. You won't know what's next, you know, and it's only going to be clear when you're eight years later, looking back, you know, and you kind of like arrived at where, where you didn't think might be possible. Um, and so it, it's day by day. And I think the one of the biggest disservices we do ourselves as human beings is not allowing ourselves to feel the emotion. Mm -hmm. Right? So, it, yes, it's messy. Sure. Emotions aren't neat and tidy and logical and rational. Right? But they're yours. Mm -hmm. And um, 
from my own experience, I can tell you that if you try to like put them down in the corner and like shove them away, it's just like you put them in an Instapot. They just get, the pressure builds, the pressure builds. And for me, I rarely let it off in the right place in time. And it would usually come out in a very messy situation, you know, at the worst worst possible time and the most unexpected time. Like when I was with a client or when I'm in a project meeting, and some little tiny thing goes wrong, and then it's just like everything comes un, unglued. So, you know, allow yourself the time and space. Take it day by day. And I, I really think, like, there are people in your world going through, if not the exact same thing, something very similar. Um, and to be brave enough to, to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Erin, what do you vow to yourself? I vow to myself, and this has been my work the last little while, is, is remembering that little voice and listening, finding time to get quiet. Um, as a business owner now, and you know, sure, it, it sounds great to be your own boss, but it's like, there's a lot that can come with that. And um, sometimes I, it's, it's a very uncertain place because you don't know what's next. You don't have all the answers. Um, and so trying to find that space and time Mm -hmm. to really connect to to me, the purpose, what I'm feeling, and, and trusting that that's going to lead me to the next right step, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's never a full plan. Yeah, no, very true. We always like to spotlight a charity of choice, mm -hmm. and is there a charity that you would like to spotlight today? I... Um, I would say that I have really enjoyed learning and getting to know um, a group called Inclusion Alberta. Mm -hmm. And they are all, um, they're actually a group of charities and nonprofits um, that come together kind of under the banner of Inclusion Alberta, but really around this conversation of equity, right? Mm -hmm. And just making um, experiences, learning, family, social, all different kinds of situations and environments as equitable as possible. Um, and I've certainly seen that in our family, mm -hmm. right? That there, the support that's available is is necessary mm -hmm. for some people to be able to do um, what other people can do quite easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, Inclusion Alberta. Well, Erin, thank you so much for being here today. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and your story and Olivia's story. Thank you. And um, yeah, it's uh, I, I think it's a story of uh, hope and it's a story of resilience, uh, especially as the parent and especially as Olivia, uh, open to you know different types of treatment. And it sounds like she's flourishing today in her environment. So thank you for, for being vulnerable and stepping out. And I know a lot of our listeners, this story will resonate with them. And um, yeah, maybe it will even, um, you know, kind of ignite something in, in our listeners to say, hey, maybe I should go get tested or maybe I should look into this because I think that it is something that we're talking about more a day. It's in more nowadays, it's more socially acceptable to talk about it. And so thank you for um, using the vow as a platform to share your story. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. 
If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.